As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, just give me just a second. Wheels are... No, wheels, no, wheels. do it now. Now. <laughs> now. How about... How about now? I kid. Take your time. But also don't. <laughs> but also, but also, are you done yet? Hello and welcome to All Comics Considered, the podcast full of vim, vigor, saline, and hydrocodone. I'm Marty, and you can always find me at, on Twitter at Officer Gleason and on Tumblr at One Pretentious Bastard. I'm Hannah, and you can find me on Twitter at Totally Rogue and on Tumblr at HannahLovesGifts.com. I'm Nick, and this is my favorite podcast on the Citadel. And this week, we have three segments to talk about. The first, we're going to talk about what super base we want to live in. We're going to come back to a pullbox feature. And then we're going to end this show out with what is a working class hero and give some pretty solid examples of what we mean by that. But first up, let's talk about super bases and where do we want to live? All right, Nick, why don't you tell us about the super base idea? Uh, well, I was just sitting around thinking about, uh, I don't know, fights. Uh, is a good word, but scrappy discussions I used to get in with uh, kids on the school playground about what superhero could beat up what other superhero. Um, and uh, for whatever reason, I guess it probably because we grew up in the 80s and the 80s was all about all of our cartoons were about uh, pushing toys on us. Um, I was always really into the superhero hideouts uh, and the supervillain you know, layers. Um, I actually still have my Castle Grayskull in my uh, Snake Mountain uh, upstairs that I let. Oh Zoe my play God! Yeah. Hell yeah! <laughs> uh, yeah, I just thought it'd be fun to talk about uh, what you know if we had access to any of the super bases and the comics that we read. Where would you want to live, Hannah? Do you want to go first? So my answer was the Justice League's Watchtower because. Well, a couple of reasons. I really loved a lot of the episodes of Justice League Unlimited that took place on the Watchtower. And the Watchtower is, of course, the orbiting space station that the Justice League has just above Earth atmosphere. Uh, my other reason was I was thinking, man, I sure would like to live in space. That would be really cool. But then Marty swooped in out of nowhere and mentioned, like, the coolest place in space to live. So I actually I kind of like your answer better. <laughs> Uh, so I went with Nowhere, the headquarters of the Guardians of the Galaxy, one of their way stations, depending on the version that you are familiar with. And I picked it because like when Hannah said the Watchtower, I'm like, yeah, Justice League Unlimited had some cool shit with the Justice League and the Watchtower. I'm like, because I don't want to live in Avengers Tower because then everybody comes to get you. I don't want to live in the Avengers Mansion because I don't want to live in New York. Uh, same reason, no Sanctum Sanctorum. I don't want to live in California. No offense, but y'all are going to fall off the map 
sometime soon. So as a Midwesterner, that scares me. So I'm like, well, let's go completely gonzo and say space. And let's go to nowhere, because then you're living in the skull of a dead celestial. And I think that's awesome, because I get to live in a house that Kirby built. I always thought it would be, like, super gross to live there. Like, Uh. living in the corpse of another, like, being. Because, theoretically, they must have some type of, you know, uh, decomposition process, probably involving some type of bugs and other grossness so that's why you have space exterminators i'm <laughs> fine with that like that's I liked, fine i liked how they handled it in the movie where they had like a harvesting all of like the cerebral spinal fluid and stuff like that so like you had all this vats of weird um like internal celestial fluids hanging around all over the place for people yeah. to get thrown into that was pretty cool but i think in the comics it's isn't it a little bit more of a skull and less of a head yeah, and then like, in it implies uh, there's still like matter associated with it besides just bone or whatever. Yeah, it's just well in some of the well in Secret War it was like a little bit grosser than what it is in uh, traditional Guardians of the Galaxy books. But um, I'm thinking about it from Abnet's run, what I can remember, and it would still be a fun place to live. So because I, I didn't like- see any space parasites, because like you know celestials, maybe they don't have the rotting issue because they're celestials but something killed it which i also think is kind of cool so i also like your thought of i don't want to live in a place where everybody's gonna get me and that Mm -hmm. is definitely a problem with watchtower yeah uh not as much of a problem as the place that i chose (laughs) yeah why don't you go about that (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so i chose the xavier institute uh i went to boarding school uh, when I was in high school, it was a math, special math and science school um, up in northern Maine, way the hell away from everywhere else. And then from there, I went straight to the dorms in college. So I had a very long, significant chunk of my life where I was forming, you know, lifelong bonds with Marty, for example, mm-hmm. uh, where I was living, you know, in dorms with other people studying the same things and, you know, uh, it was at that time in my life when you're young enough to believe that you can go out and change the world, you know, because to some extent, every teenager out there is a superhero. Um, they're the only people with the, you know, the utter belief in, in themselves and the amount of energy to really make significant changes. Uh, and the, the, that is sort of what the Xavier's Institute of the 90s represents for me, that uh, sort of... Uh, gathering place of uh, you know freaks and geeks that have superpowers all living in a dorm and going on adventures together. So you wouldn't want to live in the 1960s Xavier Institute where oh, you trained to be a child soldier? Yes, his, his back in the 60s when it first started when he, instead of being you know the Professor Xavier that we know today he was just a creepy old rich bald guy that had kids live with him. As you do, Daddy Warbucks with mind <laughs> exactly. powers. Yeah. And then, you know, like maybe when you get older, you move the Xavier Institute to limbo so that you don't have to worry as much <laughs> until that breaks down, um, which inevitably it does because you're an X-Man and the X stands for the worst luck ever. Yes. Man, that idea to me is just... Like, I totally get your reasoning, and I can absolutely see where you're coming from, but I was homeschooled, and I fought against boarding school. Like, there was there was definitely a few conversations where I was like, well, you could go back to public school, you could do boarding school, and, like, those conversations quickly turned to arguments as I put the kibosh on them really quickly. So the idea of living with a bunch of other teenagers, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the situations that I'm familiar with, with a bunch of teenagers living together is, you know, the detention center in Cook County Jail. So that's not this nearly the <laughs> same mean, thing. experiences are slightly out of, man, I don't even know. Your experiences it's, definitely weigh your scale in a very particular direction. <laughs> my context is, is two standard deviations from the mean. Um but no, I also still agree with Nick, though, that like teenagers are can be superheroes or sometimes supervillains. And then oh, the, yeah, only, sure. 
the only difference between the two sometimes is like, you know, what side of the law you're on. Um, but that is a topic for a different time. So those are the super bases that we'd probably want to live in. Let's move on to our pull box feature, which we also call stuff that we're into. So you should be too. Who wants to go first? I think I called it the wrong thing when I was when I was main hosting the other week, by the way. I think you did I fine. I don't think I don't think I got that I don't think I got that down right. Uh, I would like to take a quick moment to pause and welcome Marty back now that he's really <laughs> from his surgery. I am super, super happy you're back, not just because I enjoy doing this show with you, but also because I hate your job and I don't want to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's it's I like this part. So I thought you did fine. I thought I, I you thought did better you did quite than well, fine. Yeah. yeah. Like well, wrangling wrangling people is a is a is a hard ass job and you you did it like a hard ass, so you did good. I still think that we would make the ultimate podcaster if we had like a person that was your charisma and my organizational skills. Oh, I totally agree. I totally just, agree. Like, cram them together. There's that person oh, that person's gotta exist somewhere. Probably in like a secret cobra lab. So yeah, who wants to go first about their pull box? I would like Nick to if I can make that request because I don't know what you're talking. I don't know what it is that you're talking about, but it sounds oh, super interesting. Sure. Um, so I have been into ever since Rebels came on and I started seeing trailers for The Force Awakens. Um, I suddenly turned into an eight-year-old again and I've been all about everything Star Wars. And uh, on io9 the other day, I spotted this uh, – short film um if you're not familiar with star wars short films there's a whole genre of these things that are just absolutely fantastic they mostly mostly revolve around complicated lightsaber duels uh and what have you but people have made some extremely good star wars short films um in particular i'd recommend one that um Oh, boy, I can't remember the name of it. It's made by these two brothers. It's essentially a Hong Kong action theater take on a on a fight between two Jedi. Uh, and it's set to uh, a letter being read by uh, one of the brothers that's from the Civil War. I don't know. It's really good. Um, but uh, a new one just came out called Kara uh, that I thought was absolutely fantastic. Um, it is a... It's, you know, it's like six minutes long or something like that. Um, so it's not a huge time investment. But it's got all of your classic Star Wars stuff with Stormtroopers and X-Wings and the Force and everything. But uh, it really gives you an opportunity to see an aspect of the Force and the way it interacts with the Star Wars universe, especially in the time of the Empire, that you don't get to see very often. And it's pretty touching. I don't, I don't want to spoil anything. So I'll say that it is about a father and his daughter. Well, all right. This is something that we'll check out. Yeah, I will definitely check that out. I, too, have been very much into Star Wars again, which is a wonderful thing for me because Star Wars was really one of my first fandoms, I think I've mentioned before. So it's really nice kind of being able to step back into that. Um, I actually started playing the MMO, uh, The Old Republic, which I uh, I've been thinking about reinstalling that it's not great, but it's not terrible. Um, that being said, it's a fun Star Wars story and it feels like very Star Warsy. Uh, the actual Star Wars thing I should talk about, though, is the comic that I read, which I've been very excited to talk about, which is Vader Down, which finished a few weeks ago. Yes, I want to hear your opinion. I heard you on uh, that other comic book show. Hello, Roger. I want to hear your full uh, review of, of Vader Down because I made sure to read all of it mm -hmm. um, so you could talk about it today. I am super interested in it as well, and I have not read any of it. So I, I please uh, feel free to spoil me. I think I can talk about it without spoilers. No, uh, I, I actually, actually, so... <clears throat> I like spoilers. I'm a, I'm a really weird person. Um, I avoid them for some things, but quite often I actually seek out spoilers because um, they they don't spoil things for me. 
You know, uh, there's an, I have another friend who is the same way and it drives me crazy. And every now and again, I'll consume like a piece of media or play a game or something. Uh, and I'll like rave about it. And he'll be like, oh, so tell me what happens. I'll be like, no, no, I understand it doesn't bother you. But me telling you bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> like I what I know you don't care about this element of surprise, but it's important to me. So I'm going to it's like I always wrap Christmas presents, even if the person who I'm giving the gift to doesn't care because I care like that in respect any <laughs> respect um, so just to give a little bit of background Vader down is a tie-in comic for the Star Wars comics that are going on that Marvel's putting out right now um, so it started with a double-sized Vader down number one and then the rest of the the five next issues were it was a Darth Vader book, a Star Wars book, Darth Vader book, Star Wars book. And I think it ended on a Darth Vader book. I don't remember yeah. exactly. Um, and it tells the story of Vader pursuing Luke uh, and being shot down on a planet with an old Jedi temple on it and a gajillion republic or a gajillion rebel um, forces going after Vader as he's on there and has some very, very cool aspects of it. Uh, things that I loved were like Vader having this ridiculous stand against like a thousand rebel troops um, and just basically doing the Rorschach like, I'm not stuck here with you. You're stuck here with me. Mm hmm. Uh, which was like just ludicrously badass. Vader um, using the uh, the force to deflect a torpedo shot at him. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Vader also using the force to pull a shuttle out of the air, mm -hmm. which is one of the stronger shows of the force that we've seen. That's actually canon. Mm -hmm. It reminded me a little bit of Force Unleashed, the yep. uh, the video Star game destroyer. Yeah, where Star Killer could pull the Star Destroyer out of the sky, which was of course ridiculously overpowered. But it was cool to see that kind of given some credence by Vader just like pulling a smaller shuttle out of the air. It was still really rad. Mm -hmm. It also finally had a confrontation between Dr. Aphra's evil droids and C-3PO and uh, R2-D2, which was great. Um, Dr. Aphra, of course, is like kind of vader's sidekick in his series and she's like an evil hello it is ryan and i was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com i looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they were also playing chumba casino coincidence i think not everybody's loving having fun with it chumba casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Well, Indiana Jones. Uh, yeah. Droids. Yeah. I, I love her. I love her. So oh, I love. Yeah, I love her too. Uh, and then the bounty hunters that Vader hired, one of whom is just an evil Chewie. So there's kind of like a parallel between some of the people in Vader's title and some of the people in the main Star Wars title, which is kind of the point. We have we have the evil astromech droid, we have the evil protocol droid, we have the scary black Wookiee who's like, you know, the scary evil bounty hunter, and you have Dr. Aphra who's kind of Han Solo-esque. Um... So you have all these forces colliding, and the thing that I actually liked the most as far as everybody colliding was Princess Leia and Darth Vader being on screen together a lot more, which yeah. is always a very, very interesting set of interactions because we see it so rarely, but we know how important it is, mm -hmm. even if the characters don't. So that part of it I dug. Um, I think there were a lot of really good story beats. Unfortunately, I feel like it didn't stick the ending. Uh, I did talk about this on uh, Comic Book Infor Informer a little bit with Roger. Hi, Roger. I can be civil. I don't know what Marty's problem is. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say it with a straight face. So I'm not, but it's because the other guy sucks. No. <laughs> I don't like him, so he's bad. Yeah. No. <laughs> Um. yeah I just I felt like the ending really didn't stick it like there was no 
really climatic confrontation. Instead, it was, I think I described it as I could have listened with the Benny Hill theme playing in the background because everybody was just running around, like trying to get to everybody else. Like it just didn't make for a lot of drama. It was more of a like, it was like watching mice in a maze trying to get from one place to another. Like there was no big epic cinematic Star Wars feel to the end of it. Um, and some of the choices were very weird for the pacing. Like the Wookiee fight was drawn out for an issue and a half, which it was a page and a half, maybe worth of Wookiee fight. Um, and yeah, it just didn't really stick it for me. Like it really had me the first, the first Vader down issue itself was really, really good. Um, and then about halfway, maybe the last like two issues, it just, it, it lost me. There were also some major issues with the art, I felt. Like, there were clearly a couple of times where it looked like traces from movie stills. And that's fine if you can do it well. I don't don't think it's great. Um, But if you're going to do it, at least do it well. And it didn't... I don't think it was done very, very well. I mean, we haven't seen a lot of dead bodies in space in Star Wars, you know? And... We saw a lot in Vader Down, and I agree with your review on uh, CBI. Like uh, Princess Leia, at some points, I couldn't read her facial expressions. They just did, yeah. they were nonsensical, um, which sucks because those were some pretty cool scenes. And I also like it was just like go here, no go here, no go here, no. That's just like I said, flow. Benny Hill theme, right? Yeah. It just didn't it didn't stick the landing at all. I mean, there was some cool stuff that they could have explored, and I just I wonder like how was this ball dropped, right? Like I don't know, it just it's just ugh. I don't I, I feel like they didn't have a clear vision of what they wanted this to be because at the end of it I don't really understand what story this was trying to tell. Because it didn't feel like it had a plot line. It just felt like they plunked a bunch of characters on a planet and wanted to see what happened when they got together, but then didn't really put them together particularly well. They just made a bunch of circumstances, um, but they had no plot around those circumstances, which... But it's not like Gillen and Aaron um, are new to the crossover event, right? Like they've both written for Marvel for for a fairly long time. They've both contributed to events before. So, like, what happened? Was it did it run over? Did it run under? Like, I uh... yeah, I'm really curious about that myself because I quite enjoy both of those writers, as I've said very many many times on the podcast. Yeah, uh, I just feel like. And and the dialogue was fine. Like, I, I thought some of the scenarios that were set up were fine. Um, it was just really the big issue for me was that lack of throughput on the plot and how it just didn't have a good ending, which almost feels like, I don't know, a collaboration issue, maybe like it just wasn't paced out or plotted out well. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to guess on what caused yeah. it. I just, that is my take on it. And it was a strong run that started uh, that ended out disappointing and that was yeah. bad. And I think part of it is definitely in my perspective like uh, these uh, these writers and this these teams they have high bars set for them and that's a good thing. And you know, it's not going to make me stop picking up either of these books. Uh that would be ridiculous, but it's just they didn't stick the landing. Meh. The Vader Down uh, mini is going to be its own trade, which is pretty cool because that means that the uh, kickoff it double-sized issue will be in there as well. Uh, Good. So, I don't know. I think people should read it. I don't think they should go into it with super huge expectations, but I think it's worth the read if not for the first, like, eh, three, uh, maybe four issues. I definitely think it's worth the read. Um I would give it like a, a 6.5 to 7 on the Kirby scale. Uh, but also like, I mean, if it's 
to be to be truly blunt, like wait till it's on Marvel Unlimited. That's probably the best mm. way to read it. Unless like there's some sort of a special feature in the trade that's like, so yeah, here's where we screwed up. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's I don't think that's going to be the case. So that's why I'll never be an editor anywhere because like one of the special features I'd always want to include is like, okay, here's how we fucked up. Um, <laughs> here's what we've learned, I, dude. I would love a book like that. I would love a writer's commentary in the back of the book, like <sighs> what I what I wish I had done different or. Uh, Bendis did that on his Tumblr once, and he ex- and uh, he explained like why uh, Age of Ultron opens up uh, so so awfully, and I don't mean that in like quality wise. I mean that in like everyone's dead. Like yeah. that's like because <laughs> yep. somebody wrote him. Like, they said basically, like you know, you really should have had uh, Secret Invasion open up with you know people already losing. He's like, oh yeah, I should have. So when he did Age of Ultron, he's like, that's what I did. And yeah. that's why it's it's a pretty good event, even though we're even I'm getting event weary. Um So my pull box feature, uh like okay, so I'm not gonna gross anybody out, but I can't really I'm not really comfortable reading paper comics right now. Uh post surgery for reasons that I'll let your imaginations run wild with. Um so I fired up my iPad and I have been devouring Brubaker and Epting's uh, cap run. Now, Epting isn't on every issue, but the issues he's on are by far the best. Um, it's so good. It's it, so good. First of all, like, th- so Brubaker sets the tone. Um, he nails uh, 50s cap. He nails Steve Rogers. He nails, I mean, he redefines Bucky Barnes. So the modern interpretation of Bucky Barnes is is a Brubaker and Epting creation, and I love it. And I have read it, and uh, when I watched the Captain America special the other day, I was, like, flipping out because, like, so much of the modern cap is from that run. Mm-hmm. And I just... There is not a bad beat in there. And I want to bring it up uh, because this is an argument that we had in the Secret War special. And I'm not shooting at Roger right now, but I am shooting at Roger right now. We see in this Brubaker run the death of Steve Rogers. And we also know that Steve Rogers is coming back. And so reading through it like my second time, uh, although I don't remember if I ever got this far the last time, but... Like, it's clearly set that Steve will be coming back. But when uh, Crossbones takes the first shot and then uh, Sharon Carter finishes him off and you know he's coming back, even though it's going to take a couple of years. Like, I think it's four years before Cap comes back. It still is an emotional, impactful, horrible thing that you're watching unfold, even though they've set the clues that he's coming back. Because just shooting Steve Rogers isn't good enough for the Red Skull, which I also firmly believe as the, you know, over the top mustache twirly, even though he just is a skull, Red Skull kind of thing. This is what he would do. This is completely in character. And it was just so wonderfully awful to do to Steve Rogers. Um, the, that, run- I mean, the, the way that whole thing kicks also into Winter Soldier and... Mm-hmm how that affects Bucky and uh, yeah, that, that whole run was fantastic. Oh, how it redefines like uh, uh, ties in Natasha, including how her name is changed from Natalia to Natasha, uh, how it um, gives Sam Wilson more to do, how it deals with all of the events. Like it, his run goes through secret, uh, secret invasion, how, uh, house of M Civil War, like Brubaker just gets Cap and why it's important. And he nails his death and it is treated in a comic book way to come back. And the it's him, it's Captain America still that I've been putting up on Twitter on occasion. Like he gets it, like Brubaker nails it. And this is like, an argument I have this, this run as like the rules of the comic book genre, like death isn't always the final ending for everybody. 
this can still lead to cool, awesome, fun stories that are also topical. And that's the other part that I need to bring up. Um, when we see Bucky still as Captain America, like even when Steve has returned, Bucky keeps on being Captain America for a while. Uh, and he's going up against 50s Cap and how it's all about... I'm taking my country back. And it's in, you know, 2008, 2009, the beginning of the Obama derangement syndrome that has taken hold of people far to the right of us. Um, it's wonderful commentary on what's going on. And what's, what's cool about it is like, it's just enough to describe like where things are going wrong and to establish like, yeah, this is bad for people. And this is like the, concerns that these bad guys have are valid good concerns they're just doing the wrong thing with it you know i just i also love the idea of like 1950s values being you know which this 1950s cap represents uh as being like the antagonist to our to our bucky who is you know very postmodern which is actually something that bugs the shit out of me about the old Ultimates comics when I think about them in that that about Steve Rogers like still espousing those values in a way that he certainly wouldn't because it's so not in character for him. So right. I love that kind of counterpoint of 50s Cap being the antagonist in the good Brubaker books versus 50s Cap just kind of being the Cap in Ultimates. Yeah, I think that's the other thing. Like, I don't know. I'm not going to speculate on how people get along based on what they write. I'm also not necessarily going to ascribe that people, you know, put 100% of their values into every single character that they write. But at the same time, Brubaker in his cap run talks about the French resistance as being critical to the war effort mm -hmm. as being important and not demeaning. Whereas Mark Millar's like, you know, does this a stand, you know, this day doesn't stand for France. I don't surrender bullshit, you know, like just stop, stop, I get it. You're 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 very Scottish, and you're going to make fun of the French. That's great. Let's. He went for the cheap points. He, he went. went for, yeah, he did. He went for the super oh. cheap, very like stereotypical, horrible American yeah. perception of something, and then Bruce yeah. Baker I mean, went historically accurate and like very uh, much more impactful. I thought on Bruce Baker's run. And I think I mean, and yeah. he definitely bought that joke at a rest stop gas station next to a 50 yeah. cent hot dog. That's pretty gross. Never eat a 50 <laughs> cent hot dog, everybody. Um, but I want to also bring up another point. I think the Brubaker cap is more of who we get in the movies than any other cap that's been created. And just to tie in the Captain America special, they talked to uh, they talked about Joe Simon. They talked about Jack Kirby and Joe Simon got to see a screening of the winter soldier. And he's like, Oh, that's good. That's really good. Meaning like Brubaker captures the essence of captain America so much that one of the creators of captain America is like, yeah, I approve. That is the sign of a wonderful legacy character in my opinion. And like just Brubaker fucking nailing it. So that's my pull box. Um, to the Can point I where I made, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to ask, um, so all three of us have read that run, right? The Brubaker run? Yeah. Yeah. I still have a couple books to go, but yeah. Yeah, I haven't read it the entire way through, but I read the majority of it. Can we Can we give it a K value? Oh, God. 0. 0.9. I was going to be like, I, I got to see how it uh, how he lands the ending. Um, as of right now... Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah. Oh. 
Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I will agree with Nick. The point nine. The lowest I think it will go is a point eight. You know? Yeah, I'm going to say point nine. There's there's a there's a couple things that detract from it, but it's it's right up there with Wade's Daredevil run for me. It's at the point and Shannon doesn't listen to the show, so I don't care, but like the um I might get the the Brubaker run giant, you know, ultimate compendium book because goddamn, it's that good. Like I I've enjoyed reading it at Marvel Limited, but m- I love it so much that I want to have a physical copy of it. In a lot of ways, it's Capita's best. I, yeah. Yeah. It's, I think, the defining Cap run. I think it definitely in the modern era. And props to Nick Spencer for following in the footsteps, but taking it his own way with Sam Wilson. He is doing stellar work with Sam Wilson, Captain America, and I'm excited to see where he takes Steve. Oh, by the way, um, spoiler, Cap's coming back a couple of months after this podcast is released. So, um, Yeah, we should have a conversation about that. Maybe not right now, but maybe next week. That's what I was, we I was talk about. I was going to actually put it down as one of the features like, you know. We should talk about Marvel events that we, yeah. things we know about, because I want to talk about Civil War II as well. <sighs> I know. That's why I want to talk about it. Let's see how we can keep being the positive podcast in the wake of Civil War II. I was thinking about I, – I can't talk about it because um, while I agree with you, Hannah, I still think that there's part of me that means Carol would be the other side. But we'll talk about that later. I've been thinking about it. I have nothing to do but think about things all day. So. <laughs> You say that like it's such a terrible thing. Oh, because some of the things I think about are are pretty terrible. Like, uh, how can I make the best milk? How can I make the best hot chocolate with milkshake with a with ice cream? Um, so it's just that's what I've been what, thinking. What about a lately. terrible thing to have to yeah. do. Yeah, guys, that's pretty awful, Marty. What a horrible conundrum you have. Okay, on your hands. let's let me be. Let, I am I'm used to using my brain power to figure out more complicated, awful social issues. So being stuck with like, Oh, I can't think about this. I got to think about hot chocolate and ice cream. Anyway, let's move on before we, you know, before I go and nuke some vanilla ice cream and add chocolate sauce for a hot chocolate. I got to go do that right now. talking about food. My food just showed up. I am so hungry. (laughs) Do you need to take a break? You want to get some food? Nah, let's uh, just finish the feature. Okay. And then I'm probably going to drop off. You know what you do is you you get some uh, butterscotch soda, you put a dollop of vanilla ice cream oh in. Oh, my God. You put a dollop of caramel sauce in and stir it up, and then you die. So let's move on to our next feature, our, and our final feature for this show. So who is a working class superhero? Nick, do you want to take us through what this what we mean by this working class superhero? Sure. Um, I was reading uh, the last days of Captain Mar- of uh, sorry of Miss Marvel um, <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, and the she has uh, Kamala has the really good bit where she stands up in the uh, in the gymnasium and shouts about how uh, you know don't bring the don't bring your 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 crap to Jersey because you know we're not going to mess with it. Um, all the while, you know, everybody's having a dance party. All the while, another Earth, you know, has materialized in the sky and is hurtling towards them. And uh, Captain Marvel came down to talk to her for a little while. And it occurred to me that there really are sort of uh, there's there are distinctions in the superhero and, and supervillain even community that go even beyond whether or not you're a galactic level hero or whether you're a street level hero in um, that's that some some heroes go on to represent more than uh, just uh, what is going on around them. They come to represent an ideal. Um, it's more that they save people uh, 
as you know over the course of trying to fulfill a specific ideal or a specific creed and then you have sort of the more working class types of heroes that uh, is you know saving the people is their ideal they're not out there for uh you know they, they don't have larger concerns you know they you know they're, they're they're the people that will still uh uh pull a cat out of a tree because they have time to do that you know yeah so when Nick brought up this topic, we hashed it out and, you know, disagreed and agreed about a couple of different issues. But what we come to determine by working class, we're meaning it goes beyond their roots. Like Nick mentioned Captain Marvel, who has, you know, working class Boston, Southie Boston roots, right? But because she is a cosmic level character Avengers team leading force of nature now, she is no longer in that working class superhero group. Um, so it goes beyond roots. It includes what they're currently doing. So like, again, Peter Parker, working class kid from Queens now is the CEO of Parker Corps or Parker initiative. I forget the exact title of it, but you know, yes, he's a neighborhood boy done very well, but he's currently out of the running because well, currently he is the CEO of a, you know, globe spanning corporation. And finally, the character cannot represent an ideal or an amazing concept. For example, again, Steve Rogers, or I'm going to argue now, Sam Wilson, Captain America is literally a concept. Like this is the best of what America is supposed to be. Not what necessarily what it is, but what we really want it to be. And even though both of those characters, actually all three Captain Americas I can think of off the top of my head, actually four, Danielle Cage, spoiler, Steve Rogers, Sam Wilson, and Bucky Barnes, they're all working class kids, but they go on to pull it on that mantle, and now they're something bigger than their roots. So they're out of the running. So those are our three criteria for being a working class superhero. So yeah, who wants to talk about their working class superheroes? Aren't you, Marty? I will go first. Okay. So when Nick brought up the concept before we hashed it out, I had a list of characters and of that list of characters, we basically parsed it down to just one. And that is the ever loving blue eyed thing. Um, let's go over the evidence. Shall we goes to New York university on a football scholarship? I don't think New York university has a football team. Maybe it does. I don't know. But whatever. He goes to school on a scholarship, becomes a pilot because of Reed Richards helping him out. Um, and over the course of the storied history of the Fantastic Four, he becomes like the everyman, the common person. That's not necessarily his superpower, but that's who he becomes. That's who he represents. The resiliency, the tenacity, you know. Even now that he's in space, and Nick said this, so I can't take credit for it, but, you know, he brings Yancey Street into space with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, the thing is the perfect example of the working class superhero. Even when he's on the Avengers, he is down home, you know, you know, who, he is who he is, no matter what he is. When he strikes it rich because he's the only member of the Fantastic Four that didn't have the same accountant as the rest of the team, he's wealthy and he's touring the world, but he's still just a bloke from Yancey Street or Jamoke from Yancey Street touring the world. And when the superhero Civil War gets too much, he's like, that's it. I'm out. This is This is not what I signed up for. He is the example of the working class superhero, even with cosmic power, which I mean, he got it through cosmic rays, but aside the point, the ever loving blue eyed thing is pretty much my perfect example of a working class superhero. I think I agree with that. Sorry. Didn't mean to talk over you. Go ahead, Hannah. That was all I was going to say. You should say it again. So we get it on mic. It was, I agree with that. That was my profound wisdom. That is pretty profound. That is pretty... Because, hold on, we don't agree on a lot. That's the other thing. Like, <laughs> that, that's actually true. That's more important than you're assigning value to it. When when Nick and I agree on something, like, rest assured, it's probably pretty good. Anyway. But I Hannah, think, you were saying... 
I think the thing is a really interesting example because he is at a cosmic events level scale. Like when I was thinking of my characters, I was thinking of some of the characters that I really like, some of the assorted team books that I read. And I realized that a lot of them that have characters that take on these really huge threats or deal with like cosmic level stuff um, definitely don't fit into this category anymore because they're just, they're beyond it. They're literally not on earth anymore. It's very difficult to care about the people on earth when you're not on earth, which isn't to say they don't, but it's definitely about not any more about rescuing cats out of trees because they're, you know, curing Galactus or what have you. But it's, that weird, thing- it's that weird point where like your morality has to morph, you know, it's sort of like the laws of physics going from the micro scale to the macro scale, like, morality sort of does a similar thing yeah it's looking at this huge picture you're zooming out you're um you're looking at a huge monkey sphere at that point yep uh but the thing is the character that that doesn't really happen to like he is he is a concept in the fantastic four and that he is the concept of the thing that should be grounding to the team. Like he is definitely the grounding mechanism of that team. He's the Mm. counterpoint to read. Yep. I I love the thing. And he's probably the main reason why I'm still reading guardians of the galaxy right now. Who wants to go next? Yeah, I can go next. Um, so I, as soon as I wrote this down, I got I got flack on Mike, and we had to I cut some of it out. But I want to dive back into that. I talked about a couple of characters, but I also put down both Hawkeyes, both Clint and Kate. So I, I mean, don't think any of us are going to get any. About yeah, Clint, right? yeah, yeah. Clint is Clint is definitely a working class guy. Yeah, he came up to the school of hard knocks and pretty much stayed there. And I uh, recanted my initial disagreement so yeah talk about kate so obviously the disagreement here ran around kate because kate is the daughter of a millionaire she comes from money uh her skill comes from extremely good training that was mostly paid for my argument as to why she fits in this category is that unlike a lot of other characters that use their money to do crazy stuff like become batman or become iron man Um, that's not what she did. She didn't decide to change the world. She decided to start on a much smaller level. Um, and she also modeled herself after another working class hero. Like of all the people that she could have looked at to be like, she chose Hawkeye. Mm -hmm. And then of course, I think that in the fraction Hawkeye run, it's an amazing example of how she does represent people specifically she is not like this greater ideal um we have an entire issue that is her love letter to new jersey uh you have an entire trade that is her in this very small scale situation when she goes to the west coast and she is divorced of daddy's money then and the rest of her character arc since then has been about that has been becoming her own person and is really about growing up and moving to different a different background than the one that you came from which is certainly See, something that happens to people that's why i actually disagree uh and it's because a lot of the uh i guess uh oomph from her story comes from the culture clashes that she experiences given her background and i think that is for me that is what puts her outside of the working class sort of idea of this of the superhero she She doesn't have that sort of, you know, the school of hard knocks, I guess, that uh, that Clint has. You know, she doesn't have the terror of uh, of not having enough money like, you know, Peter had. Um, but I think the fact that that does happen to her and we focus on a trade of one of the best series in this decade that is all about her going through that struggle of having money and losing it definitely puts her on that on that level because it's not like she got it back. I guess that's an interesting question. If you can elevate, I hate using the term elevate. Um, if you can, if you can, you know, change, uh, from being a working class superhero to being a, let's call it a galactic superhero or a superhero with larger interests. Can you go backwards? 
Well, and I don't think that she was going backwards because I don't think that she necessarily had galactic interests when she started. Oh. I think she started because this is where our description kind of fails because she's 50 50. Like mm-hmm. she fails in the description of that she did come from money, but she is definitely like a street level representative of people character. Like she is not. Um, like even her teammate America Chavez from Young Avengers, like there's a huge difference in what they do. Um, Kate goes out and helps people during uh, the hurricane and makes sure that like looters are handled in New Jersey, whereas America Chavez is you know literally fighting Galactus. Meanwhile, Clint Barton joins the Avengers in Infinity and shoots up uh, builder ships. Because even though he's the best archer in the world, he's also the greatest marksman in the world. I think it works because in the the situation that Hannah's describing reminds me of a character from the Expanse trilogy, uh, Julie Pierre Mao. In that, like the Belters eventually come to recognize Julie as one of their own, even though she was like born on Earth, made of money, but she leaves the money behind. And goes on to join, you know, the Belters in their struggle for independence. So, like, in that case, I, I totally see where Hannah's coming from. It's going beyond her roots. Yeah, her roots are money, but she turns her back on her money. It goes beyond what she's currently doing. She's currently the street-level hero. And in the future, like, in the according to, you know, Lemire's run, she will be, like, not necessarily cosmic, but she will be global. And she doesn't represent anything other than the hero of the street. Like, that's who she is right now. And I think... I, I, I'm willing to give it to you. I'm willing to, I'm willing uh, yeah. to say that she, she went from white collar to blue collar. I think Hannah totally nailed it with Hawkeyes. I, I totally agree with Hannah on this one. It's also worth noting that she voluntarily turned her back on her money for heroic reasons. Because yep. her dad was doing something hella sketchy. I think that says a lot about a character, like opposed to someone who loses what they have due to hardship versus choosing to give up what they have due to morals. Yeah, I agree. I think both can lead to that. But um, this this particular uh, example showcases why giving up the money for morals is makes you more of that working class superhero. That's what I think. Uh, the other one that I have on this list is uh, Punisher. Yep. So Punisher is absolutely a working class, not exactly a hero, but, well, okay, let's be honest, in no way, shape, or form a hero, because I hate it when anyone ascribes hero to Frank Castle. Uh, it, it hurts me. It hurts me, but you are right. Mm-hmm. Tell me why it hurts you. Because he's so bad. <laughs> the Punisher is so bad. He is so bad, but, like, when we think about working class, like, in comic books, we think about the rich, and we think about good guys who are super rich, and we also think about a lot of bad guys who are super rich. When it comes to working class characters, I think it's actually a little bit harder to have mundane villainous or anti-hero characters. Um, like, I mean, you've got your various street thugs, like, right? Like, you've got your your underlings from mob bosses, that kind of thing. But your Turks. Yes. From daredevil. Oh yes. Yes. Um, but you don't have as many ones that no. like, have that name recognition. I, I gotcha. I mean, partially because in order to make a, like a mundane villain, truly villainous, you have to make them actually bad. And that's hard to do in a comic and keep it, you know, safe for kids to read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And Punisher manages to do that in a eh, kids to read, considering and, the titles he's been in. But yeah, and I get it. You know, the but you know the Punisher he doesn't care about class boundaries. He's the ultimate leveler. You know, mm-hmm. um, a, a, a bullet will take out a bad rich guy the same it will take out a bad poor guy. He is definitely a working class hero. I just uh, the Punisher. Uh. I mean, I totally agree with you, and I've, I've ranted about it before, but I think that it's important to recognize him as that because he also represents wish fulfillment of a people who understand that 
the system is corrupt and needs changing or fixing. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, I'm not encouraging. <laughs> I'm not good with what the Punisher does, but it is representative of a level of people who think that, yeah, that, like, revenge fantasy is, is kind of great. Like, you hear the term uh, justice boner on Reddit all of the time. Because when stuff like that happens, like there's definitely that visceral satisfaction of recognizing that doesn't matter if you have money, doesn't matter if you have connections, you can't escape your karma, essentially. Yeah, that's much more of a working class blue collar way of looking at it than I think a lot of other. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Uh. (laughs) that doesn't mean it's good and people you know people's wish fulfillment shouldn't always be comics hmm yeah that just hit me that you um so you have a total of four heroes that you're talking about um two clearly good guys you know one that is clearly an anti-hero pushing in into antagonist slash villain role, in my opinion, most of the time. And then your final hero uh, is kind of in the middle still. Yeah, my final hero is Wolverine. Uh, I think that Wolverine actually is very similar to the thing in that he's been through ridiculously extreme situations you know he's been in cosmic encounters he's been in reality bending situations he's done and pretty much seen everything that the x-men have encountered and yet he still feels like that guy who's gonna whip out a cigar and pop open a beer and like lean back on his cabin in the middle of nowhere in canada and maybe i don't know shoot some deers Shoot some deers. <laughs> he reminds me. He Wolverine always reminds me of this. Uh, this I. <laughs> this is dumb, and I don't know if I want you to leave this in. But he always reminds me of uh, something my dad used to say because, like, our house was kind of on the edge of the suburbs, um, and he always really wanted to move into the country. And he said his ideal home would be one where he could. Um, open his back door naked, let the dogs out to run and fire his gun into the air with nobody bothering about it. Like that was his ideal country <laughs> living where he could do all of those things and not have anyone bitch. So Wolverine always reminds me of that. And even though he's been way into outer space and time travel and all of the crazy things, he's never lost that grounded earthiness. Even when he's been a super spy for Nick Fury, there's always this part of him that's just like, yeah, Logan, no matter what type of monkey suit you put on, dude, like. I mean, I agree, but man, Wolverine has been used so much for so many you know, Mary Sue little adventures that he's so bland to me now that it's hard for me to, to put any description to him. It's just, he's just the guy that shows up. I don't know. Uh, I like, think that some writers have redeemed that. Um, yeah. And I mean, a- I, I, I enjoy it when he shows up sometimes I, you know, I was delighted when he showed up in Miss Marvel. I thought it was a fantastic appearance from mm-hmm. him. Um, so now you're just a short, angry guy that punches everything. I mean, <clears throat> but Man, I mean, I agree with you. He definitely belongs on on any list of working class superheroes. But I mean, if I think that you're overgeneralizing the character because you just said that you enjoyed when he showed up there. So yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that there are spots where that's not true, and I think that it's a thing that has to do with Raiders. Like, I'm not arguing that Wolverine was incredibly overused because absolutely he was. It was a joke. Mm-hmm. He was a joke. But he's come, I think, around from that a lot where he's being used much more wisely. I mean, he's dead, so there's that. Yep. Um, but then we have like a more thoughtful look at him in Old Man Logan. We have Laura having flashbacks of essentially her father figure. I think writing-wise, he's, if not redeemed, on the path to being redeemed as a character. And hopefully he's just straight up redeemed by the time he comes back to life, because I'm sure he's not going to stay dead forever. Or de-ages. Like, because I think that's where they're going to go with it. Like, he'll just de-age. But I, I have to agree. I, I not just with the idea of Wolverine as the every as the working class 
superhero, but also, yeah, he's been used too much, got too much exposure, but also there are some writers who just, even in a couple of panels, nail the idea of Wolverine down. G. Willow Wilson being the, uh, I, I think, the author that we all can agree on, and that in her use of the Ms. Marvel crossover was phenomenal. Oh my um, God, I loved Joss Whedon writing him. He was amazing in Whedon's run because Whedon used him as a supporting side character and he got into ridiculous hijinks. I, I've, I, and, and I will not stop talking about how wonderful Bendis's old man Logan was, you know, and like, I'm so, I don't know, this is, this is painkiller brain, but I, has old man Logan come out yet? I can find out here real quick. Because he's been used in the X-Men title. He just got recruited by uh, Jean Grey, so... Yeah, it might be soon. It's not on Marvel as its standalone thing yet, so... Wolverine totally works as the working-class superhero. Yeah, and I particularly like that, as you pointed out, I've got the Hawkeyes, who are definitely good guys, Punisher, who is on the far other end of the spectrum, and then... Wolverine, who towards the end of his run was more good than not, but definitely has those moments of like bouncing around the spectrum as people tend to do as they make good and bad choices throughout their lives. Yeah. So those were mine. Uh, Nick, how about you? So I have three uh, characters I think are pretty solidly in the working class uh, category. Well, there's Kamala Khan that I talked about before, who is all about Jersey City. That is her whole shtick. Um, and this, I mean, it's literally her whole world. So uh, she is, by definition, uh, kind of a you know, working class superhero at this point. Um, you have Miles Morales that represents all the things that Peter Parker used to, because um, mm-hmm. Miles hasn't had the opportunity to become a global CEO yet. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, the one that I'm actually really interested in was Scott Lang, um, the Ant Man, particularly his portrayal in the Ant Man movie. Um, which I thought was uh, honestly, I, I liked it quite a bit. Um, you know, he's a lot, he has an electrical engineering degree. He dude can't get a job. That's a, you know, that is a situation that speaks to, you know, middle-class America right now. Um, what are you going to do? Uh, old man offers you a super suit. Take advantage of the opportunity. Totally. No, I, yeah, I, I saw your list. I'm like, Oh Yeah. This is, I agree with every single one of those choices. These are also characters that like, you know, Scott Lang, Scott Lang got a pretty interesting uh, uh, career in um, his Future Foundation run. But still, like even then, as he's leading basically an aspect of the, uh, the Fantastic Four, he's still Scott, you know, yeah. he never he never reaches this, you know, Reed Richards esque moment. So nope. just the dude. Yeah, just the dude. And Kamala and Miles are inspired choices, I think, like just clearly clearly they are representing the working class of 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 the marvel universe today um and i i think it's it's telling that they're also two of uh the marvel universe's rising stars was there anything you wanted to anything else you wanted to say about these three characters nope uh you know i I, honestly i think i chose three of the easier ones there just isn't a a whole lot of room to argue about them, you know. No, there there really isn't. Um, although of the, the list that you have, it's going to be an interesting race to see which one of Kamala or Miles gets, gets boosted to, out first. Gets boosted out first. Miles. I mean, it'll be Miles. Miles has uh the moment uh, has the momentum, but like, well, actually, Miles has the longevity, but Kamala's got the momentum. Yeah, Miles has already done things like Universe Hop and. Literally, yeah. <laughs> he's, I mean, he's already on super teams. They're both says Kamala. Yeah, that's the other thing. They're both like new school Avengers. Oh yeah, so, and they're both. I mean, and they're both being written by Mark Wade, and that would be an interesting follow up to this feature. Like, what writers get this concept better than others? Um, I'd like to go into that one day, but that's not for today. Because today we've run out of time. We've talked about our pull box. We've talked about what super bases we're going to live in when we grow up. And we've talked about what is a working class superhero. And we gave evidence to who are some of the best known working class superheroes. 
So before we go into our outro, we have one more thing to talk about, everyone, and that is our very first giveaway. So here's what we're going to do. You leave us a review on Stitcher or on iTunes. So if you enter, leave us a review on Stitcher and you leave us a review on iTunes, you are entered twice to receive the Secret War Miles Morales cover. Uh, We'll put the the picture of this particular comic in our notes and on our blog and on the Facebook page because it is a stunning cover. So to get this cover from us, all you got to do is leave us a review on Stitcher or on iTunes. You do that, you're put into a drawing and then the drawing will close in three episodes, but because of the way the our scheduling works, four shows from now, you'll find out if you won or not. So, by the very nature of this particular giveaway, you can only do it twice, once on iTunes, once on Stitcher. But the sooner you do it, the sooner you get entered into this drawing to receive the uh, Miles Morales cover of Secret War. Sound like a plan? I'm expecting something from the audience who can't respond. Yes, Marty. There we go. See, it works. Skype. <laughs> it's a little bit psychic. Thank you to listening to All Comics Considered, the comics podcast with the heart. If you like what you hear, please rate us and review us on iTunes or on Stitcher, like us on Facebook, follow us on Tumblr, and on the Twitters, where you can always find us at All Comics Cast. Your ratings, reviews, and follows help us a ton as it gives those services more reasons to share us with everyone else. Your hosts have been Marty. You can always find me on Twitter as Officer Gleason or on Tumblr at One Pretentious Bastard. I've been Hannah, and you can find me on Twitter at TotallyRogue or on Tumblr at HannahLovesGifts.com. I'm Nick, and you can find me in a beautiful crystal palace upon the moon. Or also Maine. Or also Maine. And lastly, you can find associate producer Tim at Tim Considers on Twitter and often running the All Comics Considered Facebook page. Thanks again for listening, everybody. And until next time, dear listeners, Excelsior!